When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. I know you're paying attention to global events as well as what's going on in our nation. War and increased conflict is bubbling up in more places. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833 833- 995 gold that's 833-995-GOLD, 833-995-G-O-L-D. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. And thank you, Johnny Donovan. Wonderful to be here on a brand new week of broadcasting. 1-800-282-2882 is the phone number to be a part of the conversation. Always honored to speak with the greatest audience in the history of talk radio. And that's not a suck up. It's a fact. No doubt, like me, you've been watching very closely what it is that's going on out there, especially in the Middle East. We will be covering all the big stories that are out there that are that are moving, but uh, none at this point, I think, is is more compelling, more worrisome and more emblematic than the Biden-Harris foreign policy than what is taking place between Gaza and Israel. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict escalating more over the weekend with Yesterday marking the deadliest day since the attacks began a week ago. Israel defended taking out a building that housed various media outlets, including the Associated Press. Israel noting that Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad also occupied the space. This is one of those strategic decisions that's been made uh, by Hamas Uh, The Palestinian uh, Islamic Jihad organizations, uh, those organizations hostile to the state of Israel, they think nothing of stationing civilians, media, uh, what have you, right there, cheek by jowl, inside these buildings, these high rises, uh, there in Gaza. And it's essentially going back to the use of human shields, because that is what we have. And so that building... That media building, as it's being described, was being was taken down uh, by the Israelis. But it's it's important to understand something here. The Israelis don't just bomb buildings in Gaza. They give advance warning and notice that they're going to take the building down. The SMS texts go out to the occupants. uh, Announcements are made. 
that this is a place that's going to be targeted. The Israelis are doing their level best to not target innocent civilians, as opposed to what is happening from rockets being launched from inside civilian communities in Gaza being fired into Israel. It, it is it is absolutely two different metrics. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, somebody who's been targeted by the Obama administration and now I don't think particularly respected by the Biden administration, appeared on CBS Face the Nation yesterday saying that Israel will do whatever it takes to restore order and quiet, but reminded host John Dickerson that they have a right to defend themselves. We are targeting a terrorist organization that is targeting our civilians and hiding behind their civilians, using them as human shields. We're doing everything we can to hit the terrorists themselves, their rockets, their rocket caches and their arms, uh, but we're not going to uh, just let them get away with it. Neither would you. I mean, <laughs> you just imagine what would have happened if uh, you had uh, 2,900 uh, rockets fired on Washington and New York and others. I think you, you would understand our position. I think you do, actually. The reality here is pretty clear. One side is attempting to minimize casualties. The other side is attempting to maximize and take full advantage of casualties. You will almost never, and I'll have more comments on this in a moment, you will almost never see a moment of video or a photograph of Hamas fighters, Palestinian Islamic Jihad fighters, Hezbollah fighters uh, up north. You will almost never see them engaged in the firing of rockets or the, uh, the firing of guns. You will only see carefully choreographed images of the victims of retaliation from Israel. You will see rubble. You will see wounded and killed men, women, and children. You will see scenes from hospitals. But you will never see video of Palestinian Islamic Jihad or Hamas firing rockets out of neighborhoods into, into communities in Israel, just, just follow, firing them uh, randomly. Well, Rush made this abundantly clear early on that diplomacy is not going to solve this. He did this the last time around. Look, I'm going to say some things that I think are slam dunk true and accurate and no brainers. It's just that you will not hear things like this in the drive by media. But I got to tell you, folks, I'm 63. I have been paying attention to this issue since I was a teenager. It doesn't matter who is the president. It doesn't matter who's running the Palestinians. It doesn't matter who the prime minister of Israel is, really. This dispute has never changed in terms of the way it is presented in the media. And it's always presented in the media as though there is a diplomatic solution that can be had, that is there for the taking. And there isn't. There never will be a diplomatic solution. There will be diplomatic moments. But diplomacy is not going to solve this. The only way, it's not just this, it's any conflict like this that involves military. One of these two sides is going to have to win and the other is going to have to lose. And until that happens, there will not be a solution. And yet, every day of my life, I have been force-fed the idea, conventional wisdom, doesn't matter. Every year of my life, every day, every month, I've been force-fed news stories wherein the narrative or the template is that a diplomatic solution is at hand. 
or a diplomatic solution looks grim, or a diplomatic solution is slipping away, or we're on the verge of gaining a diplomatic, and it's none of it true. There is no diplomatic solution. We've had some of the best diplomats the world's produced try to solve this, and they have failed. We've had some of the worst diplomats the world has produced, one of them serving right now, and they have failed. Because there isn't a diplomatic solution. All you have to do is read the Hamas Charter. The Hamas Charter explicitly calls for the elimination of Israel. There is no way to negotiate that. There is no middle ground. We've been dealing with this episode this way. Let me just pick a year. Since 1950, all right? 64 years of trying the identical thing. Now, I understand that there's a lot of political power to be gained by talking about how much you hate war, and you do anything to stop war, and you'll do anything you can to stop civilian casualties. There's great political gain there, if you can convince people that's what you're after, either as a Democrat president or a Secretary of State or what have you. But it's still all fluff. When one of the combatants has in their, essentially their constitution, you call it charter, their constitution, the elimination, eradication, the, the demolishing, the abolishment of the Jewish state, there is no diplomatic solution to that. And yet, every day we get breathless reporters working and reporting on the next proposal as though this might be the magic moment. And there isn't a magic moment. Because there is not a diplomatic solution. It's not possible. And especially if you send somebody over there like Kerry, who's got his own agenda for his own legacy and his own bio and what have you, and ditto Obama. So Kerry wants ceasefire. What happens in ceasefires is that the bad guys take advantage of the timeout to retool, to regroup, and rearm. It is a fact that the two countries involved here have a different definition of peace. To Hamas and the Palestinians, peace is a momentary lull in the normal state of affairs, which is war. That is normalcy for them. They raise their children on it. They strap bombs to their children to go blow themselves up in Israel in bus depots and on buses and in schools. War is their way of life. You may not like hearing it. You may find it difficult or impossible to believe. But don't doubt me. So anytime the United States pushes for a ceasefire, whether they know it or not, they're aiding Hamas. But I don't think that's why they do it. Don't misunderstand. I think they push for a ceasefire because they all want to be seen as brokers of peace. And they all got this dream of being the guy who finally brought peace to the Middle East. They all have that much hubris. They all have that kind of ego to think they, with the power of their personality, their ideas, and the fact that they served in Vietnam, can bring to these negotiations elements that others have never had. Every one of these guys thinks they have the magic bullet. And there isn't one if it is involved in diplomacy. We were told 
We were told throughout the campaign that Joe Biden is an old, experienced hand at foreign policy. Oh, he's been at this for a long time. He he knows a lot of these people. He's been bragging in the last week that, you know, the foreign leaders are asking him, are, are you really back? Is America really back? Remember in June of 2020. Remember in June of 2020, Bob Gates, who was a one-time head of the CIA, was a one-time head of the secretary, was a one-time secretary of defense, worked closely with Obama and Biden. Remember, it was... It was Bob Gates who said, who said that Joe Biden has never been right on foreign policy issues. Never. He's seen him. He's seen him for 40 years. He's never been right. He warned about that and then stood by that very statement. Joe Biden is not directly involved in this conversation. He had one conversation with Bibi Netanyahu yesterday. That was it. Kamala Harris is MIA, hasn't been seen, uh, hasn't done a press conference in, in two months. And Tony Blinken, who's supposed to be this wizard of foreign policy, is in Copenhagen. He's visiting the Danes. He, he ought to be visiting Bibi. This is worse than the gang that can't shoot straight. This is, this is a gang that is incompetent. Plenty more straight ahead. I'm Brett Witterbull, your guide host today on the EIB Network. And I'm Brett Witterbull in on the Rush Limbaugh Show. I'm your guide host this week on the EIB Network, 800-282-2882. Rush was alluding to the notions of diplomacy and discussions in trying to bring the parties together um, as it relates to Hamas and, of course, uh, what it is that's happening with, uh, with, with, the, uh, with the nation of Israel. United Nations Security Council ceasefire talks took place on Sunday, according to the Associated Press, which was stationed in that building in Gaza, as we heard repeatedly, especially from Gary Pruitt, the uh, CEO of, of Associated Press. We, we didn't know. We didn't know from Hamas was in that building. Sure. Sure you didn't know. Uh, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken signaled Monday the U.S. would not join growing calls for an immediate ceasefire between Israel and Gaza's Hamas rulers as fighting entered its second week with more than 200 people dead. Reuters reporting the United States told the United Nations Security Council on Sunday it's made it clear to Israel, the Palestinians and others that it is ready to offer support should the parties seek a ceasefire to end the worsening violence between Israel and Palestinian militants in Gaza. Well, Rush talked about this and how it is that ceasefires actually benefit Hamas. Here's what he said. One thing, uh, folks, about ceasefires in the Middle East, whoever calls for them is losing. And uh, generally, the ceasefire is to benefit Hamas. Hamas is getting creamed here again. Don't forget Hamas. They're also allies of the Iranians. And they said early on, they launched all this, the Hamas uh, forces did, missile attacks into Israel. The Israelis responded and took out, uh, Hamas said, their Osama bin Laden, their leader. And traditionally, ceasefires in this region are for the losing side, which is always Hamas or the Palestinians, to rearm, to reorganize. It's the purpose of them, to stop Israelis' successful operations who's the biggest supporter for hamas out there qatar that's one of the uh, most important financial backers uh they they, they've sent uh, a bunch of money uh into uh into the hamas organization Uh, the iranians are also uh, big time supporters uh there was a a belief and a hope that uh, the abraham accords uh would 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 be effective in that regard of uh, knocking cut her out of the the mix there Hamas is also supported by Turkey, though, too. And in talks prior to the Hamas rocket launches that took place against Israel, the Turkish president Erdogan 
expressed political backing for it. For many years, Hamas has gotten their weapons from Iran. From Iran. And this week, the Jerusalem Post quoted Israeli intelligence sources that estimates Hamas has an arsenal of between 5,000 and 6,000 rockets. Palestinian Islamic Jihad, which cooperates with Hamas, is believed to have stockpiled a further 8,000 rockets. So what are we at right now? I think we're about 4,000 rockets that have been, uh, th- 3,000, 4,000 rockets that have been fired onto Israel. So if, if you want to take the low end there, um, they've got at least, between the two of them, 9,000 rockets left, assuming that they haven't been degraded by, by bombing runs by the IDF. Iranian rockets used to be smuggled into Gaza via Sudan, and then they were smuggled in by Egypt. Ever since the Sudanese dictator uh, Bashir was ousted in 2019, they started trying to look to run things through Egypt, but the Egyptians don't want to find themselves in that sort of a situation with Israel. So the the leader in in, in Egypt doesn't want to uh, create a condition by which you can smuggle these missiles into Gaza, fire them into Israel. We're talking about a very short space here. Gaza to, uh, to Jerusalem, you, you know, you're, you're looking at 40 miles. I mean, think about where you live and think about what's 40 miles away. And that's the distance we're talking about between Gaza and, and Jerusalem. It's a very tight, small, compact area. But to go back to diplomacy and what Rush was saying about diplomacy and to go back to effective diplomacy and understanding uh, how things uh, work in the in the real world, governed by the aggressive use of force, as Russia's often said. Um, one of the most effective peace treaties that's ever been established was the treaty between Israel and Egypt, brokered by Jimmy Carter, who seems to be back in the form of Joe Biden, but not toward any productive end. We're living in a world of Carter-type chaos, uh, but but the Camp David Accord effectively guarantees you peace between. Uh, Egypt and Israel. Why? Because the Egyptians stopped trying to invade and shoot into Israel. And the Israelis agreed that they wouldn't shoot into Egypt. All diplomacy is, is a contract. That's all diplomacy is. It's a contract. Like if you contract to buy a car, you pay me this money, I give you the car. You contract with me to buy a house, you give me this money and some earnest money that I get to keep if if the deal falls through, and then I give you the keys to the house once the deal closes. But for there to be any kind of a contract, any kind of a contract, marriage contract, a car contract, a home purchase, a peace agreement, there has to be an enforcement mechanism. There has to be an enforcement mechanism and there has to be a genuine desire to pursue and seek peace. When Sadat signed that peace treaty in the late 70s, the, the treaty he would lose his life for at the hands of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, he was saying, I want peace with, with Israel. And Begin was saying the exact same thing. And Carter co-signed on that deal. Hamas does not want peace, as Rush said. They want to wipe out the state of Israel. It's a hugely important point to understand when you look at this. It's just in terms of the backdrop of this, in terms of the history. And so little of this history is taught in the public arena, let alone the public schools or, or any of the outlets out there. People don't understand how this works. Golda Meir, one of the most effective politicians in the 20th century, who was prime minister in Israel, said, we Jews have a secret weapon in our struggle with the Arabs. We have no place to go. It's the only only democracy, functioning democracy in the Middle East. Uh, uh, Israeli Arabs have more rights than Arabs in other states in the Middle East. 
there's a rule of law. There is a functioning court system. There is relative peace when rockets are not coming in. There is a functioning economy. And the, the testimony to this is the Abraham Accords and the fact that you did have peace. The, the knock on President Trump from the elites in the left and in the media was he's an America alone guy, America only guy. Wow, for being an America alone, America only guy, he was able to cobble together deals with Canada and Mexico on NAFTA, doing the redo, the redo of NAFTA, was willing to talk to crazy Kim Jong-un, was, was willing to negotiate these deals between Israel and partners in the Middle East, which tells you, which tells you something right there. That the Israelis were ready to play ball. They understood that it was important to have good relationships with these other Arab states because Iran is the ultimate threat. Hamas is their proxy. Hezbollah is their proxy. They're stationed on both the northern and southern borders of Israel. This is not a complicated thing to understand. It's just about having an agreement, but an enforceable agreement and an agreement that will be honored. The first clip we played for you from Rush back in 2014 was the last time there was effectively a shooting war going on between Hamas and Israel. And then they behaved themselves for about seven years, restocked, reloaded, got, got a new influx of cash, not just from the Iranians, but from the Biden administration, releasing $238 million in aid that had been uh, sequestered. And now they're back at it. So you tell me who has the commitment to trying to seek peace in the region. Who has the commitment? We'll talk about the CDC next as well. 800-282-2882. It is a, uh, a real honor and a pleasure to be here today on the EIB Network. I am Brett Witterbull. More after this. Last week was a huge week when we saw the uh, the change in the standards on the CDC requirements, or uh, not requirements, I guess, I guess the uh, recommendations as it relates to masking and where you mask and how you mask and when we mask and do you mask and whom do you mask and all that sort of stuff, right? Well, there are a number of uh, CDC updates that I think are, are worth kind of uh, taking a look at, especially looking at how the narrative on masking and COVID-19 has uh, sort of manifested itself in different ways over the last number of, of months. A great example of what the mainstream media was doing a month before the election to make President Trump to appear to be ineffective in handling this crisis. Last October 14th, 2020, on CNN's New Day, co-host John Berman said to former medical school professor William Hazeltine that uh, we've been worried about the possible winter surge from COVID. It's not even a month into fall, and we're seeing this alarming increase. So what does that tell you? It tells us that we don't have this uh, pandemic, this epidemic under control. And I'm extremely concerned that the president is being advised by people who speak of herd immunity. Herd immunity is another word for mass murder. That is exactly what it is. If you allow this virus to spread as they are advocating, we are looking at two to six million Americans dead, not just this year, but every year. There is no such thing as herd immunity. This is an unmitigated disaster for our country. You know, if you walked up to William Hazeltine on his own, just he's sitting in a, in, a, in a diner or a coffee shop and he's sipping his coffee, and you walked up to him and said, uh, yes, uh, Professor uh, Hazeltine, a question for you. I believe herd immunity is another word for mass murder. He'd flip out. He'd lose his mind. Because he knows under normal circumstances, making that assertion 
is is foolishness. But he also understands that he needed to go and be the lead guest on the Fear Factory, which is uh, CNN's New Day, where they they get everybody revved up nice and early in the morning. So they're upset and panicky. And that's what he did. And given what the CDC director said last Thursday and again in the news cycle this weekend, there's a big gap between the reality of the horrible statistics in our country and this worst case scenario presented by the CNN reporter and host. Now, let's go back to August 7th of last year when Dr. Anthony Fauci said this. We don't know if it's going to be 50 percent or 60 percent. Hopefully, I'd like to see 75 percent or more. But the chances of it being 98% effective is not great, which means you must never abandon the public health approach. You've got to think of the vaccine is a tool to be able to get a pandemic to no longer be a pandemic, but to be something that's well controlled. What? Well, here's Rush reminding us that it was Andrew Cuomo that messed things up in New York with the virus. It wasn't Trump. Here's uh, Andrew Rush. Cuomo is out saying Trump had nothing to do with the vaccine. Andrew Cuomo, who couldn't have done five percent of what Trump has done. People died with Andrew Cuomo running the coronavirus circumstances in New York unnecessarily. So now Andrew Cuomo is just livid. That Trump called him out. You know, Fredo's brother said, I'm not accepting any vaccine that comes from Donald Trump. Trump said, okay, fine. We'll put you at the bottom of the list. That wasn't the only person saying that about the vaccine. Kamala Harris said she wouldn't take it. She wasn't going to trust the the Trump vaccine. Uh, Gavin Newsom. uh, That's right. Gavin Newsom came out and said, well, we're going to test and see what uh, what the vaccine's really made of. I've got my own independent experts here in California. We'll be testing all this stuff. Now, if you flip any of those people to today, and I know it's whataboutism, I know people hate the whataboutism, but if you were to flip any of those people to today and you would have had, uh, say, DeSantis in Florida, McMaster in South Carolina, uh, Abbott in Texas, and they come out and say the same sort of things, about Joe Biden's uh, coronavirus rollout and Anthony Fauci, and they say this about uh, th- that the herd immunity is mass murder, all that sort of stuff, you-, you would literally have news reporters from the cable outlets camped on their front lawns yelling and screaming and demanding retractions and apologies and all those sorts of things. And yet, and yet each and every time, the, the big government pharma crew and i'm not talking about pharmaceutical companies i'm talking about your cdc types your uh dr fauci's etc every time they put out a warning they have to walk it back it was only about four weeks ago that dr rachel walensky or rachel walensky the one who was running cdc now came on on television and said i'm i'm so i'm so worried i'm so worried and upset i feel like it's we're going to a really dark place right now now all of a sudden they come out with the revised mask mandate numbers and, and who has to wear it and where you have to wear it and all that sort of stuff. What changed politics? The Democratic Party and the politicians that come from that party understand the politics of manipulation of the masses. They get it better than anybody. They absolutely do. Remember when they were telling you uh, in the midst of the George Floyd riots at the, at the hottest point, right? We're talking 
uh, early June, mid-June of last year, there were doctors inside the NIH and the CDC and at well-respected medical schools around the country who were saying, don't worry about enforcing social distancing or the mask mandates during riots because systemic racism is a public health crisis worse than what you're seeing with the pandemic. Remember, that was a huge narrative as cities were burning. No, don't enforce the rules for people to to socially distance and not to get on top of each other as they're rioting and looting and fighting the cops and all that kind of stuff in the midst of a pandemic. Don't worry about that because it is more important for the people to express themselves than to uh, than, than to do anything else. And it's it's foolishness. To think that science is just pure science and is not politically altered is absolute silliness. Six feet social distancing was an arbitrary number. It was. How do we know? MIT did a study. How else do we know? They came out as a result of that study and said, well, one foot, three foot, six foot. You should just space yourself the best that you can. And yet... And yet, if you were to fly on an airplane any time in the last six months, I did, they were jam-packed. It was like magic. You had to be socially distant, six feet. I had somebody in the middle seat. I'm on the window seat, and there's somebody next to that person, and the seats in front and behind me are all jam-packed on an airplane. How is the airplane magically protecting everybody? Because we have the mask? Public health officials are as absolutely affected by politicking as anybody else. So Hazeltine, Fauci, Walensky, all of these people are affected by politics. If you have any doubt about that, ask yourself, well, what exactly was the role of the AFT and opening the schools? And how did Randy Weingarten get to determine what the rules for the CDC standards were going to be? The unions wrote it. So if they're protesting that, they're protesting too much coming up next the national media is busy covering israel and hamas and covid what aren't they covering we'll tell you i'm brett Witterbull, your guide host on the eib network brett Witterbull, your guide host today and this week on the eib network thrilled to be here the national media is very busy covering the war between israel and hamas and of course the latest in the covid fights they don't want to pay attention to anything else well in chicago over this weekend 45 people shot, five people fatally in a 48-hour period. It's an alarmingly high number and an indication of the lawlessness and a public mentality that such crimes can occur without penalty. Got zero coverage in any of the television or print press outside of Chicago. So again, it falls to America's anchorman to highlight the atrocity of gun violence in Chicago. Here's a portion of a call that Rush took from a Chicago resident three years ago. Jose in Chicago. Jose, thank you for calling, and I appreciate your patience. Hi. Yes, hello. Um, man, I've been listening to you for four years, and, um, man, you're a genius. And the reason why I called was uh, when you played the students about how they're so beautiful. But yet nobody talks about how Chicago is how there's so much masculinity. And mind you, this is one of the most strictest gun control city in all America. But yet there's more killing happening here than anywhere else. Really what they're doing is taking guns from good people, you know, like from people that can protect themselves. 
I was born and raised in Chicago my whole life. And um, it's sad, but, you know, a lot of my friends, you know, i seen that since I was nine, at least 30. And uh, I can't believe I'm on the show. You have lost 30 friends? 30 people yes. you knew have died since you were nine years old? And I'm 26 right now. Wow. That's more yes. than the Clintons. About 30 people I grew up with and, and friends, you know. And I mean, for me, it's more like you get numb to it. You but have nobody. to. I mean, and, and of course, but see, Jose, here's the thing. If anybody in this current argument were to bring up Chicago, it has been tried. They are shouted down. You can't compare those. Those are two different things. Those are handguns in Chicago. This was an AR-15. You can't compare the two. They won't let you because, of course, when you start comparing the two, Chicago's much worse, where nobody is doing a damn thing about it. Right? Yeah. And that's the thing, like, People want to talk about other places, about what's going around around the country. Let's talk about Chicago, and let's talk about all the killing. And mind you, these are Hispanic and black neighborhoods. I mean, I don't know. Like to me, that's like something. Is that is, is there a reason why? Like, oh, we shouldn't care because of that. It's just unbelievable. Jose, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I just have an interesting stat. I very much enjoy pointing out things to expose the phoniness of people. According to the FBI, knives kill far more people than rifles in America. And it's not even close. Recent stats from 2016 show that knives kill five times as many people as rifles in 2016. According to the FBI, 1,600 people were killed by knives and cutting instruments. 374 were killed by rifles in 2016. Where's the sense of proportion? Of course, that's why this is politics. I mention this to illustrate how it is political. There is no knife control movement. And there is no serious movement to ban cars except in the global warming crowd. Government at its core is responsible for just a few things. It really is. It's responsible for uh, public safety on the local level. It's responsible for public safety. It's responsible for the maintenance of infrastructure, you know, sidewalks, crosswalks, uh, traffic lights. It's responsible for an ability to enforce local ordinances and laws. But essentially, the, the task of government at the local level is a public safety mission. You pay taxes. You live in these neighborhoods. You are not being represented effectively. By the government in Chicago, they take your tax dollars. I don't know what they do with them, but they're not using them to keep you safe. And then they're pushing a narrative that is popular only at Smith or, or at uh, Berkeley or, or at NYU that you should defund the police, the very institution that helps to keep you and your kids safe, your grandma safe when she walks to the corner, right? That institution, that institution has to be defunded, has to be, you know, destroyed government at the local level the state level and the federal level honestly um, have, have very basic duties that they owe the people of the community and Lori Lightfoot in Chicago Garcetti in Los Angeles London Breed in San Francisco pick your city pick your city that's chaotic de Blasio in New York they care nothing about those taxpayers or those citizens or those residents it's a disgrace
The new podcast series, Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the Golden EIB microphone, is now available to listen to. Every episode will share more stories of our beloved Rush by those he worked with, his friends, and his family. Tunnel to Towers Foundation and MyPillow are sponsors. James Golden is the host. And if the first episode is any indication, this is going to be a must-listen. I hope you get the chance. If you want to find it, head on over to RushLimbaugh.com. There's a link there. You can get it. It's an amazing podcast. You're going to learn so much. I'm Brett Witterbull, your guide host today on the EIB Network. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. The number one fantasy sports app in America is Prize Picks. It's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Five million members already active on Prize Picks. If you've not yet downloaded Prize Picks, do it today. Unlike other apps on Prize Picks, it's just you against the number. It's about the players and not the teams. You look for the sports you know best and that you follow the most. Then you make a single decision on each player projection, more or less, every time you play. You pick two to six players and make that one decision. You can win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four picks. More player action on prize picks now than ever, and it's the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states now. Prize picks also gives you injury insurance so your picks stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Download the free prize picks app and open your account. Use my name, Clay, for a first deposit match. 
up to $100. Download the Prize Picks app. Use promo code CLAY, that's C-L-A-Y, to get set up and get a deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. And welcome back. I am Brett Witterbull, your guide host today on the amazing Rush Limbaugh show. So let me just uh, share this with you. Uh, tiger is a tiger. Here's Rush talking about a tiger is a tiger. Snurdly is going back into the archives here. Uh, tiger is a tiger. It's just a reminder that these are not pets. These are not trainable. They're, well, they are somewhat, but they're not tameable. And they don't love you. They're wild animals. They're predators. A lion's a lion. Lion's a lion. A tiger's a tiger. It's one of the great lines from Rush Limbaugh. And in just a matter of minutes, you're going to stick around there. You're going to come back. We're going to all get back together here. You're going to get to hear the great analysis from Rush Limbaugh. A tiger is a tiger on the EIB Network. Hour number two of the Rush Limbaugh Show underway. I am Brett Winterpool, and I am your guide today, your guide host. I love pets. I love animals. I am an omni-animal lover. I love cats and dogs and fish and birds. I, I even love the, the big cats, you know, tigers and lions and bears. Oh, my. But one story has had me transfixed for the last uh, week or so. The missing tiger in Houston, Texas. Imagine looking out your window on a Sunday morning and seeing a tiger sitting in your front yard. A tiger. That's how this next story started. A Bengal tiger that went missing a week ago in Houston was turned into authorities over the weekend and is safe. The tiger named India is allegedly owned by Victor and Gia Cuevas. Which, by the way, is illegal. The tiger ownership is, is, is illegal. Concerned neighbors called the police after seeing the big cat roaming around the neighborhood. The husband then fled in his Jeep with the tiger in the back seat. At the time, the police did not pursue a chase considering the fact that there was a tiger in the back seat of the Jeep. A, a, a tiger that's just a, a baby tiger, like nine months old, but weighs in at 175 pounds? When they eventually caught up with Cuevas, who was also out on bail on a 2017 murder, the tiger was gone. He's reported to have been passed around a series of homes in an effort to elude law enforcement. Tiger safe houses? A friend of the wife who was concerned about the tiger since it was in a cage that was far too small tipped the police off and brought him to an animal shelter. During a live Saturday night press conference, Houston police commander Ron Borza repeated the obvious that owning a wild animal is dangerous. In no way, shape, or form should you have an animal like that in your household. That animal is only nine months old. It already weighs 175 pounds, full grown. That animal can get to 600 pounds. I work out every day. That animal was extremely powerful. If he wanted to overcome you, he could do it instantly. No doubt about it. Not only would Rush agree, but he would take the opportunity to remind us, as he often did, that a tiger is a tiger. I'm an animal lover like everyone else is, except I, I do not think they're human. You know, I have fun playing with my pets, but a lion isn't a pet. 
and it never will be. Neither is a tiger, neither is a giraffe. They're not pets. They're, it's impossible to make them pets. There are exceptions. I mean, you you can take a lion. Remember Clarence, the cross-eyed lion, the old TV show way, way back in the 70s? It was funny. It was a, it was a comedy show, and, the, and it was a cross-eyed lion that was the star. His name was Clarence. It was genuinely cross-eyed, and they had it rigs. This lion drove a Jeep around. It looked like the lion was driving. It was a cute-as-it-could-be show. And I remember the star of the show was a guy. His first name is Marshall, and I can't remember his last name. And he had a daughter, and they ran some sort of game preserve, or, or a, not a game preserve, but a hospital area for, for injured animals and so forth. And this particular lion was only usable for you know a very short time. Chimpanzees are the same. Chimpanzees, when they're little babies, are cutest. You do not want to get anywhere near an adult chimpanzee. No, they're nothing like when they're a kid. They're just you know, the story. This this crazed woman in Connecticut that had a pet chimpanzee, and her friend came over. I don't even want to describe to you what happened. It's sickening what the chimpanzee did. But the chimpanzee was just doing what chimpanzees do. You know, chimpanzee is a chimpanzee. Lion's a lion. Tiger's a tiger. You know, ask Siegfried and Roy. They had this act in Las Vegas with, I think, Persians. Persian tigers. And they, from the moment the lions in their act were born, or tigers, Persian tigers, from the moment they were born, they slept with them. They tried to raise them as pets. They were constantly with them. They tried to get these tigers as docile and and take the predator out of them. And one of these guys, I think Siegfried or which of the two, ends up nearly killed. And, by the way, knew right where to go. Went for this guy's carotid artery. Ended up, well, he was wounded and had a stroke in recovery or shortly after. And that was the end of the act. And I remember the tiger's name was Montecor. And they wanted to put the animal down. And Siegfried and Roy are the remaining, which one was still constant. No, don't put the animal. It wasn't the animal's fault. They knew it wasn't the animal's fault. The tiger's a tiger. It does what it does. So thankfully, the story out of Houston has a happy ending. The tiger, India, is transferred to a uh, the Cleveland Armory Black Beauty Ranch. It's a sanctuary for animals, including other tigers. As for the husband, well, he's now going to be kept... Where that tiger was kept, behind bars. We'll have to uh, see how this story develops over time. I'm always fascinated by these sorts of stories uh, for, for the logistics involved in these sorts of stories. You, you look at somebody who has a tiger or a lion, something obviously huge and loud because they roar. How do you muffle that in your house? Like, How do you keep that from being noticed by neighbors? We've all lived in the neighborhood with the barking dog that barks at 3 o'clock in the morning and it just just will not stop, wakes you up. What are you doing when that tiger starts roaring? What are you doing when the doorbell rings and that tiger starts scratching at the front door because uh, you, you've got your prime package coming in or, 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 or <laughs> heaven forbid, uh, a steak delivery or whatever? Because, you know, these, these animals eat a ton of food. I mean, they don't literally eat a ton of food, but they, they eat like 10, 25 pounds of food when they're growing up. And then as they get older, they usually eat like 10% of their body weight. Where are you going out to get? You're like, honey, uh, we got to go over to the uh, big box store and grab 25 pounds of chicken for India. Uh, okay. For today. And then we have to go and get 25 pounds tomorrow. And 20. You have to feed these things. He's exactly right. A tiger is a tiger. This is not the sort of thing you play games with. Because 
when they look, I've had cats. I have cats. I like cats. I love dogs. I've had parakeets. I've had fish. I, I like I said, I've had every kind of pet you can pretty much imagine. It's a domesticated sort of pet. But the reality is, if you've ever been around a kitty cat, right? Just a regular old house cat. You know, you get three three pets on the belly, and then they're going to go for it. What are you doing with a tiger that's coming in at a buck ninety five? That that is a wide receiver. That is a defensive back in 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 pro football that has got that kind of strength. Except he's got like Ginsu knives for claws when he comes at you. What are you doing? How are we processing that? How are you going on vacation? You know, you get yourself a little Persian cat. Okay, you're gonna go away overnight or two days. You leave a bowl of food and some water. What are you doing with the tiger? You just. You're going to leave them tied to the bedpost? Like, what are you doing? Not to mention the litter. My gosh. A, a little tortoise shell can, can positively gas out the room. What is this tiger doing? And are you putting litter down for this guy? And by the way, what was he doing in that week interval that he was out there on the road in Houston? What, what, who was setting him up? Who, who, was, who was hooking him up in the safe houses? How was he getting the food? How are they transporting him from here, there, and everywhere? I am so happy he's now in the sanctuary uh, because this just goes to show the complete, profound lack of common sense that criminals and regular people uh, have, thinking that, oh, it's just such a cute little tiger. Let's keep it. You're not a Russian oligarch. What are you doing? You have no idea what you're doing. These people with these giant animals, it's just its remarkable. Luckily, they never went to California and tried to use it as an uh, emotional support tiger on an aircraft. Because I think the uh, the airlines would have been forced to take them. And if you complained, you'd get in trouble with the federal government. They'd be like, hey, hey, that is his emotional support, Bengal Tiger India. Don't you worry. He's very friendly. No, he's just, he's not tasting you. He's just licking you. 800-282-2882-800-282-2882. Brett Waterbull in here on the uh, on the Rush Limbaugh show. Uh, I want to go out on the phone so very quickly if I can, if I can grab a call uh, can I go to Stephanie in Wikiwachi, Florida? Wants to go to the uh, Biden foreign policy situation. Uh, Stephanie, welcome to the Rush Limbaugh Show. Thank you. Thanks for calling. How are you? I'm well. What's on your mind today? Well, I um, going back to what you were saying about uh, the um, oh gosh, I'm I'm sorry the uh, ch- um, the Rush uh, oh gosh the, the Israel and the, the the Israel stuff and all yeah, all the Hamas yeah that's mm-hmm. what I was talking about yes. Um, Russia and China has watched our weak response to that, and yep. they see what what they're going to try us to. They're going China, China's going to go after Taiwan. Russia's mm-hmm. going to go after Ukraine, and they know that we're not going to do anything about it. You and you are it right. Also open well, it also opens them up. They've seen our weak response to the colonial pipeline. Yep. Russia has said on a, t- a Russian official has said on one of their TV programs they are coming after our infrastructure, after sure. our water systems, and our electrical grid. Without a if doubt. After our elect- well, if they go after our electrical get- grid, just think what that could do. I mean, no way to pump water, no mm-hmm. elect- um, medical equipment. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, people look at I. I don't need to be a conspiracy theorist, but that's a problem. No, it's not, it's not a conspiracy theorist. Look, the, the, the world is governed by the aggressive use of force, as, as Rush said so many times. And I appreciate that call, Stephanie. Thank you for, for checking in. Uh, the world is a dangerous place, and we have got dictatorships that are run by dangerous men. Xi Jinping is a dangerous man. Vladimir Putin is a dangerous man. The mullahs in Tehran are dangerous men. Hamas are dangerous. The cartels in Mexico are dangerous. 
they are going to do what they can to gain advantage when we show weakness. And no doubt that China and Russia are watching Biden's weak response on Israel and the colonial pipeline. And oh, yeah, the border. They are absolutely, absolutely watching closely what it is that's happening out there. Because these are all trial runs and tests to see how the foreign policy of the United States of America is going to hold up and what we're willing to defend in our nation. We are setting a marker and a benchmark, and it is an incredibly low one for the first time in a lot of years that we are willing to take these sorts of shots. Uh, We need to be uh, asserting ourselves as a strong, sovereign nation. I'm Brett Witterbull, your guide host today on the EIB Network. And I am Brent Witterbull, your guide host today and this week on the EIB Network. Uh, Wonderful to be here. I just got a tweet that came in from somebody who's been listening to the program. Uh, Black Bear Strong says, there are more tigers in basements and homes in the United States than in the wild. By the way, Cleveland Armory Ranch is really the best place for that tiger. That's in Texas where uh, where India will be uh, relocated. Uh, So... The Cleveland Armory Ranch is really the best place for the tiger. He once airlifted over 300 donkeys from the Grand Canyon after hearing they would be destroyed by the government. So this guy's got a heart for protecting potentially endangered species. No, I don't don't know that the 300 donkeys are are members of Congress. No, I think they mean actual donkeys, uh, animals running around out there. But they they say this is this is great. This is great. Uh, Apparently, uh, we had a drive by caller who also said that it's legal to own tigers in Texas with a permit. But it appears that it would be illegal in the city of Houston to have to have a tiger. I just can't imagine what it would be like to go into that house after that tiger has been living in that thing. And uh, you decide you're going to buy it. and You're going to try to rehab the house. You got to wonder what all those marks are all over. the. You're like, what is this? Are they having sword fights in this house? What's going on? I'm Brent Witterbull, your guide host today. From Tigers to Horses, an upset at the 146th Preakness Stakes on Saturday as little-known Rombauer took first place with Medina Spirit, who was caught up in that doping scandal, finishing third. Medina's uh, coach, Bob Baffert, opted to stay away uh, from that controversy, uh, issuing the following statement. Today is not about Bob Baffert. It's instead about Medina Spirit and uh, all of the other equine athletes in our tremendous uh, sport. A sad bit of news uh, coming out from this uh, the situation um, regarding animals and way animals are managed. I mentioned that tweet that came in about saving the donkeys from the Grand Canyon. Well, this is a horse story of another uh, feather. There uh, w- was another story over the weekend that didn't get as much attention. The Baltimore Sun reporting on Saturday at the Bureau of Land Management, which is in charge for of caring for the nation's wild horses, created a $1,000 ahead adoption incentive program in 2019 because it wanted to move a huge surplus of Mustangs and burros out of government corrals and find them, quote, good homes. Well, thousands of first-time adopters signed up, and the Bureau was hailing the program as a success, but records show that instead of going to good homes, truckloads of horses were dumped at slaughter auctions as soon as those adopters got their federal dollars. A program intended to protect wild horses was instead subsidizing their path to destruction. Rush often spoke about the fact that we're never supposed to examine the results of government programs, only the good intentions. Sadly, this program with the horses is just one of those many examples. We're chasing rainbows. 
I don't want to hear about all these good intentions. Well, Rush, you got to at least give them credit for their good intentions. They're trying. I don't know. That doesn't count. All their good intentions. What 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 did that get us with the war on poverty? What did that get us with a great society? All these great and every liberal program have come down the pike. Social Security. I know this is going to irritate some of you. It is a Ponzi scheme that is given credibility simply because it's run by the government. But it's no different than what Bernard Madoff was doing. There's not a shred's bit of difference in what Madoff is doing and what Social Security is. Pure and simple. And we have reached the point where Madoff went to jail in Social Security. There's no longer money to pay late-arriving investors. The early investors get paid off as later suckers pour money into the program. In our case, it was mandatory. We had to invest. We were given no choice. But it's a failure. It's an absolute disaster. And look at how many programs in our entitlement structure are modeled after Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, you name it. And behind every one of these programs was big hearts, good intentions, compassion. We are going to help people. And we're not. How are people being helped now? This is all, it's, it's all caught up with us. And now, green jobs. Seattle Green Jobs Program, they got 20 million federal dollars, which is really what this is all about. They got 20 million federal dollars to weatherize homes. 14 jobs were created with the $20 million, most of them administrative, and only three homes were upgraded. Now, what do you think happened to the money? Green jobs sound good, and look at how many countries get on board this green business in their marketing, because they think that you, the general public, have fallen for it. And so every company touts how they're greening their manufacturing process, greening their sales process, greening the very ingredients in their products or service or what have you, all to make you think they care about the environment. And they are good stewards. And in fact, all it is is a giant slush fund. In fact, John Kerry was testifying last week at the uh, at the House of Representatives answering questions uh, about he was he was there was the climate czar, but he was asking questions about tipping off the Iranians uh, to uh, to Israeli operations uh, since he is uh, he's an honorary uh, uh, a friend of of that regime there in in Iran because he's constantly advising people like uh, Zavad Zarif, Javad Zarif, uh, the foreign minister of, of Iran. And John Kerry had to acknowledge the reporting that came out of a number of resources in the last few weeks that the. Western Chinese concentration camps that we know about that the Uyghurs are currently living in, that they are manufacturing under horrible conditions, uh, solar panels that will be used in the United States as part of the Green New Deal. Oh, oh, you didn't hear about this? Oh, this, this has been reported in a number of places. I think Bloomberg had it in their green section of their of their uh, news feed a few weeks back. And when asked about this, hey, do you know that they're using slave labor? Do you know that they're using all these things to uh, to manufacture these these solar panels? Whew. He had to acknowledge, yes, I'm aware that that's the case. And, you know, we're trying to do what we can. It's intentions. 
It's all just the intentions are great. Our intentions are, are to make sure that you can you can do what you have to do. I remember I remember a bit that Ru- that Rush did back about oh gosh, it has to be fifteen years ago. Maimon would remember this. Fifteen years ago, maybe twenty, where liberals were giving homeless people shiny new shopping carts to push their stuff around town in, rather than giving them shelter. And they were saying, look. We, we can't help them, so let's give them brand new sh- shopping carts to go around town, and they can haul their cans and, and foraged food with them every place they go, and it'll be secure that way. Rather than trying to help them transition from homelessness, they were, they were getting together to try to pay for new shopping carts for people to remain homeless. I mean, it's, it's, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I mean, that's, it's become a cliche phrase, but it has, and at the hands of government... Those good intentions are celebrated as virtues, tremendous virtues and victories. Well, what comes next? Let's have a conversation about critical race theory. I'm Brent Witterbull on the EIB Network. The issue of, uh, of, of critical race theory is uh, popping up seemingly everywhere, and not just in the world of academia. It's, it's popping up in the, uh, in the popular culture uh, as well. And there are people who are being targeted as a result of uh, critical race theory and are being stifled who are not just um, who are not just part of the patriarchy or the traditional uh, white institutions of, of, of power. One of these people have stepped forward to, to speak about this, and his name is Dr. Vaudi Boucham. Why anti-racism zealots are trying to silence black voices like mine. As a Christian minister, I'm used to being stifled when I talk about my religion outside of church. If I bring up faith in Jesus Christ, the guardians of the secular public square are quick to inform me that my religion is strictly a private matter. These days, I'm stifled not because of the religion I practice, but because of the one I reject. The religion of anti-racism, which is now the established church of academia, government, the media... And business. Let that sink in for a second. It is now the official established church of academia, government, media, and business. What's left? What else is there? One dogma this new religion is that America needs to have a conversation about race, but Americans have been talking about race since at least the 1860s. Nobody is trying to avoid talking about race but many are trying to control what has been said he notes nobody is trying to avoid talking about race but many are trying to control what is said the elites of our society urge us to quote elevate black voices but it is important to understand what they mean they don't want to elevate all black voices but only those who subscribe to the creed of critical race theory if you don't avow that our society is infected with systemic racism and that the white supremacy white privilege and white fragility are the root of all your problems that black people face then you are a heretic writes dr boucham your consciousness is white and therefore oppressive no matter how black your skin may be he notes i'm a descendant of slaves and a child of the great migration but anti-racists will tell you i'm not really black I suffer from an internalized racism, they insist. I'm trying to curry favor with white people, he says in quotes. 
They dismiss me and other black nonconformists as sellouts, traitors, Uncle Toms who are skinfolk but not kinfolk. Consider the slurs that the Voices of Tolerance have flung at Senator Tim Scott since he gave the Republican response to Joe Biden's State of the Union address. What does it tell us about our conversation, about our race, about the very people who demand it would be it would exclude unconventional black thinkers like Thomas Sowell, Carol Swaim, Shelby Steele, John McWhorter, and of course, the late Walter Williams. No rational debate in this church of anti-racism. It demands a blind faith, and it is punitive. For it is a religion without grace. Rush spoke about how our conversations around race are only permitted if you say the right things and stay on message. So if you have an opposing view or even just another way of examining the issue, especially as a person of color, it's not allowed. Here's Rush talking about what happened to African-American actor Terry Crews. There is an actor by the name of Terry Crews. I guess CBS has a show called The Talk. And the co-host was Cheryl Underwood. And the co-host said to Terry Crews, you made a comment on Twitter last week that got a lot of backlash. You said that defeating white supremacy without white people creates black supremacy. That equality is the truth. I'd like for you to Speak to that and give any clarity you see as necessary. She basically saying, what the hell are you talking about? What does this mean? Defeating white supremacy without white people creates black supremacy. So here is how he attempted to explain it. In black America, we have gatekeepers. We have people who have decided who is going to be black and who's not. And I, simply because I have a mixed race wife, have been discounted. From the conversation, a lot of times by very, very militant movements, black power movement, I've been called all kinds of things like an Uncle Tom, simply because I'm successful, simply because I work my way out of Flint, Michigan. No, 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 no. It's because you have a mixed race wife. Well, it is because you're self-reliant and you don't spend enough time ripping into the white power structure. And why doesn't he? I mean, many of them are the reason why he has succeeded. And that's a crime, you see. So, you know, she's got this perplexed look on his face like she still doesn't understand the answer. So he continued. The problem with that is, is that black people have different views. You know, it's funny because when you're white, you can be Republican, Libertarian, Democrat. You can be anything. But if you're black, you have to be one thing. Even Joe Biden said, hey, man, you don't vote for me. You ain't even black. And so this blackness is always judged and it's always put up against this this thing. And I'm going, wait a minute, that right there is it's a supremacist move. You have now put yourself above other black people. He's exactly right. If you are black, you got to be a Democrat or else you're an Uncle Tom or else you're going to be destroyed or else you're going to be mocked, laughed at, made fun of, and they're going to try to destroy you. And he's got it. If you're a Republican and you're black, you be anything you want. You be a communist, you be Democrat, you can be libertarian, uh, doesn't matter. And if Republicans will support you being whoever you want. But you can't be anything but a Democrat if you're black. And that's what he meant by black supremacy. That's what he meant by this white supremacy is a bunch of garbage here. White supremacy without white people creates black supremacy. So he finally got to the answer and what uh, and what he meant and it's a really really good point it goes after biden here on this thing so he's he's gonna be hearing from democrats for a while about this 
But you said that right there is a supremacist move. Black people have different views. You know, it's funny because when you're white, you can be Republican, you can be whatever you want. This is the kind of realization that African-Americans are not supposed to have. To go back to the the piece by Dr. Boucham and and the mention of a very important point, and that is this idea of it being a religion without grace. What that means, I mean, I think we all understand what it means, but what I'm interpreting it to mean is that there's no opportunity for redemption. So, so Robert Byrd, we know what Robert Byrd was when he was younger, could not, he could not change his heart and, and be somebody who could then be embraced by Democrats because he was no longer a supporter of the KKK, right? I mean, that's, Hillary Clinton spoke at his funeral, it, it, it talked about what an important man he was. Joe Biden talked about his friendship with him. Obviously, they believed that there was, a, there was grace that was possible. You could change. You could be a different person. If you if you deny grace, if you refuse to allow redemption of any kind, um, then there's there's no hope for humanity. If we don't have hope for a better tomorrow or a better outcome, then all you have is is nihilism, just the destruction of the societal uh, structure just to do it, just to do it. And that's a hugely important point. Redemption is an incredibly important notion without redemption, without grace. Saul on the road to Tarsus is still going to be Saul persecuting Christians, killing them, putting them to death. There is no redemption possible. And without redemption, what's the point of life? The idea that you can wake up today and be better than you were tomorrow, yesterday, and, be, and you'll be better tomorrow. Advancing, moving forward. I believe this is being used as a wedge between people because people, by and large, in this country and in other places, by and large, people understand that we all want the same things. We want our children to succeed. We want our country to be strong. We want to have a good economy. We want to feel safe. We want clean air, clean water. We want opportunity. And if we can subdivide us according to man-made boxes that are now being checked, and we can reduce the possibility of us forgiving each other or working together because there is no grace, then what we have is a, a group of people or a grouping of people to be moved around on a chessboard at the command of political bosses. And human beings are more than politics. Human beings are created in the image and likeness of God. And we are imperfect, though we strive for perfection. And it's a shame to see an, an aggressive attempt to try to remove that notion from people's minds. Because ultimately, it costs you hope. I'm Brett Witterbull. Up next, your calls on the EIB Network. I'm Brett Witterbull, your guide host today on the EIB Network. Let's check in on the phones with some of the great listeners out there across the Fruited Plains. Sam is up next. Up, Sam, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? How you doing? I'm doing well. I have thanks. a question. I'm concerned that with this Tiger story, they're burying the lead mm-hmm. on the story. I'd like somebody to be able to explain to me how a guy who is out on bail for murder for four years, and again, my information comes from the media. I haven't run sure. a background check or done any other research. Yeah. But this guy apparently is out on bail for murder in 2017, yeah. acquires a tiger illegally in the county he lives in in Texas, maintains that tiger for a period of time, yes. then is able to flee from the police and shuffle that tiger around to a pre-existing network 
of people who can hide and shelter that tiger for at least a week. Why is nobody looking at this guy? Well, he's been he's been uh, his his bail has been uh, you know rescinded at this point, so he is in custody. Uh, but I but, understand you, that. But, but after four years, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you kind of answer your own question. Would would you know where in your town to go get a tiger? Like, would you have any idea where to go get a, go go get acquire a tiger? Absolutely not. See, I wouldn't either, right? Would you know where to go? I, I'm I'm going to presume something here. I'm, I, I'm not going to make you answer the question, but I'm going to presume that you would have a difficult time if I said I need you to to go out and acquire a large amount of drugs or weapons. You'd probably say I really don't know uh, anything about that world. That's not my world. Is that fair to say, Sam? Well. I'm a retired police officer. Well, you're a cop. Okay. Okay. But my point Right, right. I got so, you. But but if you were if you were Sam the average citizen, if you were Sam the average citizen, you probably wouldn't know where to go to score a bunch of drugs or a bunch of guns or a tiger because you don't live in that world. I don't live in that world. Where how does he get away with this because Houston is one of these progressive jurisdictions, I'm sure, that's doing restorative justice. That's making sure people get out. I think he was supposed to have an ankle bracelet on. I don't think he had the ankle bracelet on either. Um, in well, addition, out on bond for four years. Yeah, he's looking at you. It come, probably no. I'm sure they're not. It's Houston's a huge city, and this guy is probably you know falling underneath the uh, the pile of you know what. It's probably also a part of this. In all seriousness, COVID didn't that set prosecutions back like a year? I mean, you don't have court dates because people couldn't go into courthouses and you couldn't do trials. Uh, you know, I'm sure that all of this stuff. This is just another broken municipality in, in Houston, which is a great city, but it's huge and it's liberal. I mean, that's that's the challenge here, Sam. I, I'm not excusing it. I'm just observing that a guy being out walking around for four years. Yeah, I'm probably I'm not that surprised by it. But it's a sad commentary oh. on the media in this country yeah. that they focus on the fact the guy had a tiger. Yeah. The- well, the tiger makes it here's from the media orientation. The tiger makes it sort of the feel good story. In other words, it's. It's we get the kitty cat back. Don't worry about the murderer. He'll get his. That's what the media is thinking, because they, they, they want to be able to report the tiger part of it, because that's sensational. If if he doesn't have a tiger, if he has a pit bull, right, this doesn't make the newspaper. If, if he was busted for having a pit bull running in his front yard uh, and disappeared for a week and he was still out on bail for four years, you, you wouldn't even you wouldn't even know anything about it. It's the tiger that makes it exotic enough to be a story. You're exactly right. And yeah. then they are making the assumption that for the week or more this tiger was missing, yeah, he didn't eat anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> or, no, they were moving him from safe houses. They were moving him from safe house to safe house. Can you imagine that? I mean, what kind of an undertaking is that? You have to be experienced in handling a tiger. You know, you don't just get little Timmy, who, who who's a, a high school junior across the street, to go move that tiger for you. You got to you got to know how to handle that guy. Right, and if you have the mechanism and the infrastructure yep. to do that with a tiger, mm-hmm. mm. be with mm-hmm. something else. What else? What else could be moving in those stash houses? I'm wondering. Right, this there you go. It's a great point, Sam. You blew this. You blew this case wide open. You need to go down to Houston and you need to sign back up for the department, and you got to go crack these cases because you're exactly the kind of officer they need down there. <laughs> yeah, well, I came from Chicago, so. Oh! Dude, you're the best. I appreciate you being out there, Sam. Thanks for calling in today. That's uh, Sam, who came out of Chicago, called from the western United States, and knows a tiger story when he hears it. That's no doubt at all. So let me uh, share with you something that I just think is absolutely fantastic, and I'm so excited to, uh, to be able to share it with you. Um, 
you know, the reality is we have incredibly talented people that we all know. Bo Snerdly himself, one of the most talented people I've ever known, uh, joined this program this past Wednesday to speak with Todd Herman about his new podcast series. And it's quite a tribute to our beloved Rush, sharing memorable moments of working together and the kind of person that Rush was. My Pillow and the Tunnel to Towers Foundation are both sponsoring this 12-episode series. You will find a link to the first podcast on our website, RushLimbaugh.com. That's RushLimbaugh.com. And wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Brett Witterbull, your guide host today on the EIB Network. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Pure Talk, the cell phone company we both rely on, is further investing in their customers without charging an extra penny. Pure Talk is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. That's right. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless provider has you covered at home and abroad. Pure Talk already puts you on America's most dependable 5G network, but now they're giving you coverage in more than 50 countries, too. Unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data for just $20 a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. You keep your phone number and your phone unless you want to get great savings on the latest iPhones and Androids. Up to you. Go to puretalk.com slash clay and make the switch today. That's puretalk.com slash clay, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Switch to Pure Talk so you can have more money to travel with this summer. And I am Brent Witterbull, your guide host today on the Rush Limbaugh Show. Great call, Maimon. Great call right there. I have the tiger. Uh, I'm informed by Ali, who does tremendous work here on the program, that that last caller, Sam's question that, that he asked about with the uh, with the investigation was asked during the Saturday night press conference by the police chief. The chief said it's an ongoing investigation and uh, they are uh, looking into all of this stuff to get to the bottom of of all the different parts of this story involving the tiger being the 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 uh, the central guy being out on bail or on bond for four years. 
Ah, uh, but alas, and I did not know this. I didn't know this, but apparently it's part of a larger criminal investigation into criminal activity of all kinds. The guy apparently also bought a dog from the same source as the tiger. He obtained the tiger, but the dog, as as I pointed out, you notice, they don't make that a big deal because it's just a dog. Brett Whittable on the EIB Network. And thank you, Johnny Donovan. It is great to be the guide host today on the Rush Limbaugh Show. 800-282-2882 is the phone number to uh, reach out, to be a part of the conversation. Incredible to uh, continue to watch how America is changing before our very eyes, and so little of it for the better. We've got a woke news update. Penn State, the Nittany Lions, uh, is replacing sexist and classist words like freshmen. Sexist and classist words like freshmen. Oh, it gets worse than that. The New York Post reporting that Penn State will replace pronouns such as he, him, hers with they, them, theirs. So we go from he, him, hers to they, them, theirs. They're going to replace traditional student designations such as freshman and sophomore with first year and second year and replace underclassmen and upperclassmen with lower division and upper division wait a minute they're gonna get rid of freshman and sophomore they're leaving junior and senior or are they getting rid of junior and senior are they getting rid of all four of the designations freshman sophomore junior senior and just going to underclassmen upperclassmen lower division upper division can you still pursue a master's degree what are they going to do? What is happening here, folks? The preferred name and gender identity policy was passed by Pennsylvania State University's Senate Committee on Curricular Affairs on April 27th. Terms such as freshmen are decidedly male-specific, while terms such as upperclassmen can be interpreted as both sexist and classist. Terms such as junior and senior are parallel to Western male father-son naming conventions. And much of our written documentation uses he-she pronouns, states the resolution. Oh, boy. Rush had some fun with this a few years ago and made a larger point while talking about it. Will you ever introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Rush Limbaugh, he, him. What that means, I'm giving you permission to call me a he. That means I'm not a tranny, I am a cisgender male, and I'm free to admit it. So you can call me him or he. But if I were a tranny, I would say, hi, James, somebody from, from Sacramento, it, they. It, they means non-cisgender. It means you're transgender and that you don't have a gender identity. So you are a they, a them, or an it. So I thought that was what the guy was talking about. But 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 Brett here makes far more sense because these people wouldn't be mad at that. They would be supportive of that. So let's let's listen to these two bites again. This is from Atlanta on Saturday at the National Convention of the Democratic Socialists of America. They're, we're going to tune in here. We're going to eavesdrop on these people uh, having a segment in their convention about defeating capitalism. And the moderator, 
is uh, uh, a she, her. Well, I say I don't know that, actually. And you can't tell by looking. And if you could, we're not supposed to say so. So you'll hear the moderator and you'll hear James Jackson and then the moderator. And then you'll hear the Bernie Sanders guy at the end who's all mad about something. If we want to defeat capitalism, we are going to need a party that will organize working people to fight for the demands that we want and to win socialism. Thank you so much. Great. Uh, Quick point of privilege. Quick point Um, of personal privilege. Um, guys, uh, first of all, James Jackson, Sacramento, he, him. I just want to say, can we please keep the chatter to a minimum? I'm one of the people who's very, very prone to sensory overload. There's a lot of whispering and chatter going on. It's making it very difficult for me to focus. Please, can we just, I know it's, we're all fresh and ready to go, but can we please just keep the chatter to a minimum? It's affecting my ability to focus. Thank you. Thank you, comrade. Okay, is there a speaker against name, point chapter, pronoun? Privilege. Point of personal privilege. Yes. Please do not use gendered language to address everyone. Okay. He snorted there at the end, and he is. He's talking about, you know, the, 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 the James Jackson, the he, him, in uh, Sacramento. said, hey, guys, first of all, and, the, and this guy is upset about that. Please don't use gendered language to address everyone. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so, okay, okay. Um. I asked the question, where do you find people like this? They're all over this country. Where are they? And I was informed that they work in government, that they're all over the bureaucracy. They are all over the public screwal system. They are all over uh, Starbucks, coffee shops, places like that. They're everywhere. These people are everywhere. By the way, and these people are also out in the protest march. These are the same kind of people outside the turtle's house raising hell, while at the same time complaining of the noise. He can't focus. And uh, then at the same convention, uh, another guy stood up, a he, him, to outline the rules of the convention and how he was very worried about them being violent. First of all, in this room, I see that no one's clapping for me. It could be because I'm not engaging, but it also is because everyone's doing this. And that's really important because those loud bursts of noise, even though this is a noisy space, when we can do something like reducing that, that's really important. We're not trying to be jerks, but there are... Um, right-wing infiltrators who are trying to get in here don't really talk to anybody who doesn't have a credential. Don't talk to cops. Don't talk to MAGA. We're almost there. There's also in Piedmont 8, a completely quiet room. One thing to note there, please don't go into that space with anything that's like an aggressive scent, for instance, right? Try to be chill, right? Take a deep breath. And feel better before you say anything. Aggressive sense, as in too much uh, perfume, cologne, aftershave, too much right guard. Uh, don't do it. Don't go in there. Uh, don't talk to anybody that have a credential. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, it's depressing these people are out there, but they are. At these, th- these are your classic. These these little socialists here, we had a caller yesterday, great point. If these people actually met a real, live, communist, socialist dictator, they would be scared out of their shoes. If they actually encountered a Vladimir Putin, they think Putin would come into their convention and applaud them and embrace them and welcome them to the movement. 
Poot would come in and laugh himself silly and send the KGB after him as making the movement look bad. Same thing with Hugo Chavez. If these people ran into people who are genuinely communist and dictatorial thugs, I think they'd, they'd have fainting spells and heart attacks over the crudeness and the, and the violence. I mean, it's that simple. He's exactly right. See, the orientation between being, say, like a, a socialist leftist and, and being a, a free market oriented person who's either a libertarian or a conservative or some blend thereof, it, it all comes down to the academic training. It all comes down to the academic training. I was in college in the, uh, in the late 80s and the early 90s, and I saw in my professors, the tenured professors at my school, were clearly the people who came out in like 1971, 72 from college. They were formed exclusively by, you know, the, the free speech movement out of Berkeley and, and uh, the weather underground type stuff. And I'm not saying that they were all progressive uh, whack jobs, but a large percentage were progressive whack jobs. And so I understood what, what they were doing. They play, the left plays an incredibly long game. All right. They start by telling you SUVs are no good. And then they eventually sidle into the Green New Deal. They go from the Green New Deal to the Great Reset. They go from the Great Reset to critical race theory. They go from that to this. They're able to to take leaps. There's a reason why Mao Zedong talked about the Great Leap Forward. Right. Well, the Great Leap Forward is something that spans a lot of time. Conservatives, conservatives don't have a lot of time to sit back and, and scheme and plan out how to change the culture in a, in a macro and micro way, because conservatives, by and large, want to go out and get something done. Start a business, run a company, start a family, be productive, make money, enjoy their freedoms in America. When you have the, the he, him, she, her uh, crowd, that takes a lot of work. And that's a lot of work that conservatives don't necessarily want to, want to put in. And that's not a bad thing. It's just a commentary in terms of priorities. You, you know, you went to school with kids that you can look back on now, and it doesn't matter how old you are now or how young you were then, but you can look back now and you can say, yeah, but probably that one was probably a socialist. That one probably ended up being a CEO. That one probably ended up being a felon. Okay, maybe, maybe you don't know that they were going to be a CEO. But my point is, you know, you, you're able to look back on time at these people and, and to see how they plan and scheme and intend to do things like that. Now, here's what I would do if I were trying to counter the narrative. I'd say, okay, he, him, but I wouldn't say she, her. I would say he, him, her, she, and then it would like be like a chocolate reference or something. And that would be kind of great because that's what you have to do. I mean, why do you have to be he, him, them, or they, why can't you be he, she, what, or he, she, there? Why do you have to, why do we have to be constrained by those constructs? The reality is these, these do nothings at Penn state university with their manifestos that they turn out are going to be irrelevant by the end of the academic year. And then they'll go into corporate America and start really defacing effective institutions. I'm Brett Witterbull, your guide host today on the EIB Network. And welcome back. I'm Brett Witterbull, your guide host today on the EIB Network. The pipeline shutdown, and that saga continues for so many millions of Americans. And I have uh, endless sympathy for the folks who have been adversely affected by this. I am among those who have been adversely affected by the, uh, the pipeline ransomware shutdown that uh, we found out about uh, last week. We also found out that the company paid ransom money to the, uh, to, to the organization that what are the dark side, uh, the, 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 the hacker group that, that's out there. But millions of people, I'm here in the Carolinas, and I'm telling you, 
it is difficult. It is difficult at, at best. Uh, as of Sunday in Charlotte, 50% of gas stations still don't have gas in their tanks to sell. As of 1 p.m. on Saturday, 61% of North Carolina gas stations had no fuel. According to GasBuddy.com, a strong improvement from 68% at 9 a.m. earlier in the day as I was driving around uh, over the weekend. Uh, I did see little pockets of activity, and the only way you could really tell if a station had gas or not was the crowd that was trying to get into the parking lot. Uh, the empty stations obviously didn't have any gasoline. And uh, we even had a little instance of what some are saying, gouging here in, uh, in Charlotte, as one guy was selling gas for nine ninety nine a gallon. And he was limiting you uh, to uh, to nine gallons of gas. So basically, a hundred bucks to to put nine gallons of gas in your tank. When he was confronted by the media and some officials, he said he wasn't gouging. He was trying to manage the supply of the gas going out of his pumps. He didn't want to totally sell out, so he created a price that that would be prohibitive to a certain portion of the population. And really, that's what price is supposed to do, right? Supply and demand, high demand, high price, low demand, low price. And that's that's how the economics of all that all that works. But try as hard as they want to. The left and specifically President Biden uh, and, and AOC and Bernie Sanders and company, they want to go to the wind energy plan. They want to go to the electricity energy plan. They want to go to all that sort of stuff. Well, Rush laid it out pretty plain and pretty easy to understand that we need oil. Here you have a truth. Energy demand and growth is going to skyrocket. There's no other way around it. That makes total sense. There are more people. There are societies and populations that are becoming modernized. It makes total sense that this would happen. We can't conserve our way out of this. And the rest of the world is going to do whatever it has to do to find the energy that it needs to sustain its growth. Because they all want growth because growth equals prosperity. And prosperity equals power. And they all want more power than they've got. In the meantime, we're in the middle of being slaughtered by many members of our own nation here, party, Democrat party, the leftists, who are doing everything they can to help everybody else cut us down to size. While the rest of the world is guiltlessly walking down the path, trying to figure out how to get more energy so they can use it, what are we doing? We're being told to back up. We're being told to reduce our lifestyles. So much common sense is being abandoned in this. If we are going, if the world is going to have its energy demand grow by 50% over the next two decades, I'm sorry, folks, you can conserve all you want. You can go get the plastic bags and use them, and you can go change your light bulbs, and you can unplug your chargers, and you can do all, it ain't going to matter a hill of beans. You can put a windmill in your backyard, put solar panels on your house, you can go buy some of these electric cars, you plug them in, and hope they work. You can do all that, and it isn't going to matter. Because conservation does not equal growth. Conservation may make good sense and not against it, but as a policy for economic growth, not a chance. You know, it is clear, folks, the Democrat Party, the American left, hate oil. They despise oil. Is that rational? No. Why hate oil? John Kerry couldn't fly around on his wife's jet without it. The two biggest crises we're facing in the country right now, the two biggest, were self-inflicted wounds signed into effect by Joe Biden. The border crisis and what's going on uh, when it comes to um, gasoline and energy independence in the United States. 
he killed off 100,000 jobs and proudly killed off 100,000 jobs after telling you he was going to be the president for the working men and women out there. He proudly killed off the Keystone XL pipeline. Killed it off. So we're not doing it. We're not permitting it. We're, we're, we, we don't want it. It's done. It's over. He did that and he did the border. Created a humanitarian crisis at the border. Created an economic crisis at the Keystone XL pipeline. Wants to do the same thing to coal. Wants to do the same thing to fracking. Wants to do the same thing to uh, to electrical plants or any of that sort of stuff. Remember when Barack Obama, when he was running for president, saying, well, you can build an electric plant, but we're going to bankrupt you. The cost is going to bankrupt you. You're not going to be able to afford to do that. Where do you expect to get the electricity to charge all those lovely Teslas and EVs that are out there driving around with their radiuses of, uh, you know, of, of, of between 200 and 300 miles uh, distance? Where are you going to get that electricity? If you don't think that the Russians can hack the electric grid, you're wrong. An earlier caller today referenced comments that I heard myself from other folks who watch this very closely and who understand that you can hack an oil pipeline, you can hack an electrical grid, you can take the entire East Coast down in terms of power. The bad guys have ways of doing this. It's the Internet of Things. Stuff that's connected outside to the rest of the world can be exploited. Or you can pay somebody to bring in a, a technology that can then go into an isolated system. Stuxnet comes to mind with the Iranian nuclear uh, you know, situation back a number of years ago, and then most recently in the last few weeks, the uh, the failure at their centrifuge. We're not going to be able to live without oil. And if you want to do electricity, you better figure out some places you want to put some nuclear power plants, because even the French use those. The Europeans understand the value of nuclear power plants. Nuclear power plants get a bad rap in the United States because of a terrible movie by Jane Fonda and Michael Douglas called The China Syndrome in 1979. It was an awful movie. And it created this impression of abject fear as it related to energy choices uh, in our country. The Europeans use nuclear power. Other nations have used nuclear power. Yeah, you can look at Chernobyl and understand that was a, a bad setup by a corrupt, rotting Soviet communist government in 1986. And you can look at the situation at Fukushima as a result of an, of, of an earthquake and a tsunami uh, knocking Fukushima offline. But that's your cleanest shot at energy. That is your cleanest shot at energy. You don't want to do refineries. You don't want to do that. Fine. Let's just generate a whole bunch of electricity. But it's not going to work with windmills across the prairie. Go, go ask the people in Texas what happened this winter. Ask them how that worked out for them this past winter when, when their capacity went offline. We have got to be energy independent. Can you imagine what would happen? If the Midwest, if the Plains states in the dark of winter had the Russians, the Iranians, some unaffiliated hacker group, what have you, come in and, and take the power grid offline in, in the Midwest, in the Dakotas, in the dead of winter, you're talking about dead human beings. Now, the president needs to understand that we have people that want to do us harm in the world. The reality is, with this, with this gas shock that we just got because of the Colonial Pipeline being shut down, we have done nothing to deter that group, the dark side, or whatever other group shows up in the future, from doing it to us again because there is no visible consequence. There's just the president in Biden saying, yeah, we're going to look into uh, doing something about these people. Really? That sounds frightening. I'm... I'm quaking in my boots, uh, Mr. President, that you're thinking about doing something about what happened to, to the United States.
we have to at least have people in power in Washington who love America more than they fear the bad guys. You just got to love the American people and love America more than you fear the bad guys or world opinion around the world. It's not a difficult bit of calculus. I'm Brett Witterball on the EIB Network. Rush had a way of explaining things that made it easy to understand. He also had a way of making us think, which is why we're going to revisit some of those thoughtful think pieces with our Monday Musings segment. We'll kick it off with Rush explaining how Washington works and why the battle to preserve conservatism never ends. Way back in the late 50s, early 60s, I forget the exact date that William F. Buckley Jr. started National Review. He wrote then of his conservative buddies, who were the, 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 the purebreds, the thoroughbreds, versus the, he called them the well-fed Republicans. We call them the Republican establishment. But well-fed is exactly right. And he talks about how the well-fed Republicans referred to Buckley and the gang at National Review as extremists, and they were dangerous, and they were going to destroy the party. I know this may be uh, a shock to some of you to, to think that this battle in the Republican Party establishment versus conservative has been going on this long. It has been, and it really is not just the Republican Party. It is the Washington establishment. I think I'm let words getting overdone, overused, including by me. But Washington is its own fiefdom, and for the longest time, Washington has existed at odds with the American people, other than at election time. At election time, everybody in Washington goes out and makes the people think that they're number one. And what they want is what's going to happen. Vote for me, and that's what's going to happen. Vote for me, that's what you're going to get. Vote for me, and that's what I'm going to campaign on. I'm going to campaign on, and I'm going to, I'm going to implement this. I'm going to govern this way. And it never happens. They get to Washington. The culture takes over. Establishment takes over. And it, for the longest time, it's been the Washington establishment versus the people. It's a natural outgrowth of power. Inside the Beltway is the seat of power. It's where all the money is. And there's all kinds of hands trying to grab the money. And it's a lot of money. It's trillions, trillions produced by you, trillions of dollars produced by you every year that these people are trying to get their hands on. Many of them don't work. They run think tanks. They run um, nonprofits, whatever. They get grants. Everybody's trying to get their hands on the money. And people outside the Beltway resent that. We send the money to Washington for efficient use in running the government. Don't waste it. Don't make people dependent. Don't create a bunch of serfs, and the exact opposite has happened. So they inside the Beltway miss a lot that they don't have any idea they miss. And one of the things that we learned out here in flyover country, and actually something we already knew, we learned that, that, that one guy with some supporters, one guy standing up can change everything we learned that one guy standing up can stop the status quo in its tracks we see how one guy unflappable courageous standing up against that machine can in fact stop it we also learned it's going to take more than one can't do it all with one but as i say imagine if there were five or ten of them imagine 45 of them and that of course 
is the objective outside the Beltway. That's the objective with Tea Party people who are not giving up and not going away and not slinking away, cowering in the corner. They're not. They're energized. No, people involved in this know that you never win forever and you don't lose forever either. This is some people get depressed that they have to continue to fight every day. I understand that. It's easy to slip away. I always said, after eight years of Reagan, why in the world did the American people not realize? I mean, it was a booming economy. People were going back to work. The country was no doubt the world's lone superpower brought down the Soviet Union. What in the world? How in the world did people forget that and start voting Democrat again? And then the answer is very simple. The minute Reagan was gone, actually while he was there, but the minute he was gone, even the Republican Party started revising the history of the 80s. And it became a depression, a recession, a decade of greed, a decade of selfishness, racism, bigotry. Reagan hated gay people. That's why they got AIDS. They started, I mean, it was a full court press because the left cannot permit the people to see on their own how liberalism fails. They must not allow that. And when liberalism is defeated, whoever engineers that defeat, i.e. whoever wins, must be destroyed. That's why it's an ongoing battle. It never ends. You never win it forever. Now, you can win it for a long time, as the Democrats have shown, something that we haven't perfected. Just think about where uh, Chuck Schumer was four months ago when he was out there running around uh, yelling and screaming that first we're going to do it to Georgia and then we're going to do it to the rest of the country. You remember? I mean, he said that. He said, first we do it to Georgia, then we do it to the rest of the country. And he got Ossoff and Warnock in there as uh, as the senators. Think back just, I don't know, four weeks ago to that bizarre news conference with Jerry Nadler and, and, and the, uh, the, the Democrats standing there telling you that they were coming to pack the court. They had the power. We're going to pack the court. We're going to adopt new states. We're going to bring new states into the union. We're going to do all of this. They can't control the border. They can't fix a pipeline. They can't do anything but set up these uh, universal basic income programs. They don't have results to show for. So uh, th- th- this 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 line of control is going to be very short lived, because they've they've promised all this stuff to the kooks and and people are looking at this going, this is not what we signed up for, not not the kook voters, but the the regular voters. Republican and Democrat. Neil in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome to the Rush Limbaugh Show. What's on your mind, sir? Hey, man. Uh, <clears throat> I'm hearing you guys talk about uh, like the gas shortages and sure. basically how, how the economy's tanking right now. Uh, I actually work uh, in the metal industry. Oh, boy. And uh, we're, ex- we're experiencing a lot of shortages uh, in metal right now, unavailabilities. Uh, as of today, they're telling us, uh, our stock orders are going to be, you know, months out, two to three months away. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm just wondering, you know, have you guys heard anything about that? And was that something that, uh, you know, uh, just, I well, guess regionally? Yeah. Well, no. Look, we're we're seeing the the same sort of reporting you're seeing. There's obviously shortages of lumber. There's uh, shortages of, uh, of computer chips. There's shortages in metal. Uh, all of this stuff, the, these shortages are, are all manifesting themselves, and we're seeing inflation, which means the stuff that is available is is in, incredibly more expensive than it has been in the past. So, yeah, we, we are seeing a, a new era of what appears to be some measure of scarcity, and that's, that's a, a scary reality. I imagine whatever work you are involved in in terms of uh, metal, 
I imagine your prices are going up not just for supplies but for the services you're providing. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. Like I said, our uh, our prices have have tripled since yep. uh, like the first of the year. Yeah. Uh, you know, on metal all metal products basically. It's incredible. You know, which obviously trickles down. You know, the line. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, there it's just a, a, a lot of different things. You know, they're telling us uh, in a few months there's going to be other items that are unavailable. Oh boy! Mm-hmm. Uh, lack of workers in the in the factories and such, and yeah. it's just uh, it's unbelievable. This is what happens. This is what happens when you use the federal government's treasury to outbid businesses' ability to hire people. People will stay on the couch, and then they'll tell you that that's not really happening. Great call, Neil. All the best. Stay in touch. In a matter of moments, the EIB high note is all about improvising. Brett Whittable on the EIB. It is time for today's EIB high note. It's all about improvising. That's right. It's all about improvising. So in hockey, if a player scores three goals in a game, it's dubbed a hat trick, as many of you know. Some of you may not know that. Fans usually throw their hats out on the ice to celebrate. Well, due to the COVID restrictions in Canada, no fans were in the stands to witness Tim Stutzel's first career hat trick. The Ottawa Senators forward went home with little fanfare over his achievement. That is until he opened his back door. The local kids had banded together and made sure to celebrate him anyway by throwing hats into his backyard. Here is Stutzel's reaction when asked about it at a press conference. That was definitely unreal and uh, a great thing of them to do that. And uh, I was very, very happy for that. So and I can't thank them enough for doing that. We can't be thankful enough for that, what they did to us. And uh, that shows the support they they stay behind us in every situation and are always behind yeah, the players and the team and the whole staff. And uh, that was definitely an unreal feeling. Love the creative kids uh, getting together to uh, to make this guy feel good. That's a phenomenal thing. And you can go over to RushLimbaugh.com and uh, see the video of this. It's actually some really great creativity from these kids making this player feel pretty special. And again, head on over to RushLimbaugh.com to, uh, to, to see the video for yourself. Uh, let's go back on the phones and uh, check in very quickly with uh, Joe in Bellevue, Nebraska. Joe, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hey, thanks, Brent. Hey, I was calling today to talk about uh, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer. Yes, sir. Uh, who was removed from the uh, ele- command of the 11th Warning Squadron. Yep. Um, it's very sad uh, to see that uh, Lieutenant General Whiting has chosen uh, to be a comrade over uh, and a useful idiot for uh, Secretary of Defense Alston. All uh, Lohmeyer did was go write a book and go on a podcast to explain how critical race theory is based on Marxism and how Marxism is infiltrating the U.S. military. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very proud of uh, Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer uh, for standing up for the truth. I uh, first learned about the great analysis and analytical ability uh, to apply in the Air Force in my career from Rush Limbaugh. Sure. Uh, Rush was outstanding in his analysis, and it supported logic. And I see that in Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer's approach to this. It's, it's, it, go ahead. I was going to say, the, the, the book is titled Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. That, that book is now number one on Amazon in the wake of his being fired. 
Yes, uh, I ordered one. It's out of stock right now. Yep. I encourage everybody to support uh, Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer right now mm-hmm. and uh, express your uh, – I have no confidence in the leadership of Air Force well, Space Command. Well, well, well hold, hold on. I, I understand that, Joe, but here's what I would say about this on, on two fronts, okay? And I do appreciate the call, and thank you for your service because what you did, what you do, what you did – allows us to be free in this country. Here's what I would say about this. He notes in, this, uh, in, his, in his writing, since taking command as a commander 10 months ago, I saw what I consider fundamentally incompatible and competing narratives of what America was and is, Lohmeyer said. It wasn't just prolific in social media or throughout the country during the past year. It was spreading throughout the U.S. military. So he's obviously seeing what he thinks is a long-term uh, issue in, in, the, in the military. Here's the reason why I would take heart about this. Um, people are now going to be talking about this. And if they thought they would sack him and then he would go away, I think it has the opposite effect. And this conversation will then continue. And I think that's an incredibly, incredibly important thing to sort of uh, uh, keep in mind. He, he's, he's likely not going to disappear. His stock will go up because people will want to hear what he saw on the inside. I remember when they used to call that the resistance back in the early days of Trump. Now, they just fire you because they disagree with your analysis. I'm Brett Waterbowl, your guide host today on the Rush Limbaugh Show on the EAB Network. Look, here's the situation, folks. I'm Brett Waterbowl, your guide host today on the Rush Limbaugh Show. We are going to win this fight for liberty and for conservatism. I'm confident of that fact because Rush left us one heck of a roadmap. And we know what we believe and we know how to defend what it is that we believe. It's a hugely important point that that oftentimes goes overlooked. The secret to winning is just getting out there and persuading people and winning. That's how you do it. You persuade people, you bring them along to your way of thinking, and you win. That is the most overlooked strategy that there is out there today. So be confident in what you believe, know what you believe, articulate what you believe, and then be prepared to defend it. And be prepared to defend it with facts, not emotions, not bans, none of that stuff. It's about winning them over. Sometimes it takes a very long time, but it's worth it. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Brett Witterbull on the EIB Network. Grand Canyon University, a private Christian university in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona, believes that we're endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. GCU believes in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams, offering over 330 academic programs as of September 2023. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University, private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Who's there for heroes or the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is severely injured in the line of duty? Who helps our country's homeless veterans and who helps our nation to never forget 9-11? Let me tell you who. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The Foundation's Gold Star, Fallen First Responder, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran Programs comprise... They're in the line of duty programs. They're all dedicated to honoring our nation's heroes and their families. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America in so many ways. Over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year, dozens of golf outings, and the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institutes educating kids in K-12 grades 
to help our nation keep its vow to never forget. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tonta Towers goes to its programs. Never forget the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. If you've got a military, first responder, emergency medical, or government service background, GovX.com is for you. You stepped up to serve our country and communities, and GovX delivers unbeatable deals that you've earned. GovX.com is the only site built exclusively to honor your service. Members save on epic brands and the gear they need for their on- and off-duty lives. You'll get incredible savings on tickets to live sports events, theme parks, and other entertainment. You can even save on travel, hotels, rental cars, cruises, and more. See if you qualify. Visit GovX.com. It's easy and totally free. Use code BUCK in the shopping cart to get an extra $15 off your first order. GovX, savings for those who serve.